Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. everybody how you doing well that's good welcome to broad street hockey radio that's right bsh radio my name is bill Matz. i'm your director of fun and games for the evening we have a jam-packed show there is so much news going on in the nhl so many things to talk to you about obviously flyers making their stanley cup push uh on the way to the playoffs lots of good things this is the show I wish I was doing. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to play the cards we are dealt, and we are here to entertain you during this, uh, I don't know what to even call it now, quarantine, shutdown, the beginning of the end. I don't fucking know. Uh, so let's just get right to it. I'm supposed to be, like, positive and stuff, and this is how I deal with things, by making jokes about the worst-case scenario. So when it isn't the end of the world, I feel good. Like, if it's just only half of the world ends, I'm like, oh, all right. It's the cool. be- it's the the beginning, William, of something yeah. good. We're yeah. going to get a Britney Spears-inspired general strike of the workers. The rich people are going to figure out that they can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then everything will turn right. We'll fix it all. Build it right back I'm, up. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to trickle-down economics finally proving Any true. day now. I, I, really, <laughs> I really am. Any day. It's going <laughs> to... Come right on down. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we have a we have a good show planned for you today. We're here to have some fun. We're gonna talk some flyers. We're gonna we're, we're gonna do our thing. Uh, so let me introduce to you the panel. Let's lead it off with Canada's own Kelly Hinkle. <laughs> so I was telling Bill before the show, the most exciting thing that has happened to me since we've been quarantined is that the other day here in Halifax, it snowed for a bit, and it was snowing like the biggest snowflakes I've ever seen in my life. Like, they look like those giant soap bubbles that they use for fake snow. They were so big. And I tweeted about it because I thought it was pretty. And then also, Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys tweeted about the size of the snowflakes. So we're pretty much best friends now. You know what really weirds me out? Hmm. When he's not in character and he's just Mike Smith. Yeah, it's weird. He's a really good actor. Yeah. (laughs) He plays that character. (laughs) consistently all the time and when he's just mike smith i'm like i don't like this (laughs) uh so kelly i know you do uh i know you have some fun in the kitchen you uh you're a person who can cook things you got some time on your hands have you done anything recently interesting so the only thing that i've done so far um because i eat like zero fun and enjoyable foods in my life i figured out how to make um like a keto version of chocolate mousse. And it turned out so delicious that it just made me really, really happy because sometimes you try one of these things and it tastes like total ass, but this was like super yummy. And I've been eating it like every night for the past five days. And it's brought a lot of joy to my life. And with that, you just volunteered for another supplemental show. (laughs) Kelly's cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly offers cooking tips and also tries to recruit you into the DSA. That's <laughs> one show. Perfect. <laughs> That's, you need to brainwash, and the best way to brainwash is with food. It's true. 
And now let's throw it over to the Athletic.com's own Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, before uh, I ask you what you've been doing, how you've been spending your quarantine, I got to say, you know, I got auto-renewed on on uh, on the Athletic a couple of weeks ago. Oh, no. Hey, and now <laughs> it's fucking free? What, what's going on over here? Oh, man. What is uh, going on over here? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. No, it's like a 90-day uh, free trial. I mean, you know how it is. Like, everybody's, yeah. everybody's trying to, you know, stay afloat. And I guess this is a way they've, they've done research, and they're thinking this is a way that will help us stay afloat. So hopefully we do. Hopefully I keep my job, which would be nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, but subscribe yeah, to the athletic, thing. everybody. Yeah. Pay for it. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you have the money, it's obviously isn't a, a good financial no, make it a priority. for a lot of people. So, <laughs> but if you, if you no, have that's... the money, it's, it's not a bad place to, to, to place it if you aren't already. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a time I've been, been keeping busy, you know, still pumping out the articles when I can, uh, started up a tracking project. So hopefully that'll be done in like May, maybe, I don't know. We'll see how long it takes. I'm through eight, nine games. Well, Eight, eight and two thirds games. There's only you know 61 more to go. It's fine. Um, but uh, but yeah, you brought up food, Kelly. It's funny. I uh, I've been like trying to eat very healthy during this whole thing because during mm-hmm. well because during during the season I don't like I try to but I end up just like getting fast food because I'm running around like a lunatic trying to cover the flyers and not having time to cook and stuff. So I've been mostly eating healthy. But today I woke up after like two weeks of eating healthy and I was like, you know what? I want Kraft mac and cheese. So I made nice. myself Kraft mac and cheese for lunch. And like, I haven't had it in over a year and shit, it's still good. Kraft mac and cheese is good as hell. I used Kraft to eat it like great. every day in college for lunch. Mm, and then I stopped when I graduated college because I was like, you know, I'll probably die of a heart attack if I keep doing that. But, you know, once in a while, it's great. And it was great. I too have been trying to eat healthy. Uh, all I've had to eat today is. Half of a freezer pizza I left out on the counter last night <laughs> and about three handfuls of dark chocolate espresso beans. There so you go. I- I'm right there with you in, uh, in staying healthy. Um, I, uh, last night, uh, everyone, whenever I put out on Twitter, like, hey, what the hell should we talk about tonight? Because I do that during the season when there's stuff going on just because mm-hmm. I'm lazy and don't want to write an outline. <laughs> um, and like consistently, a couple of people always ask for wrestling topics. And I'm like, my co-hosts don't know anything about wrestling, so it'll be me this talking for five minutes, and then them going, okay, yeah, next. Like, so we don't really do it all that often, but I will say, if you have the channel Viceland, uh, season two of a show came back last night called Dark Side of the Ring, and they opened up with a two-hour special on the Chris Benoit story. Oh. Um, one of the craziest things to ever happen. It's a, it's an, even if you're not into wrestling at all, it's an insane story about a guy who was just known as someone who was awesome at his job. He was a great pro wrestler that everyone liked. And one day you woke up and it turned out he had killed his wife and his son and himself. And uh, it's just, it's something, it's, I don't want to say awesome because like it sucks that that happened, but it was a really good documentary. It happened 13 years ago. If you followed the story, it's not a ton of new information, but it's probably the best place to get everything all at once, like the full perspective of the story. So I am going to recommend Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, And there's other really good episodes too, but last night's season two debuted. It's the Chris Benoit story. Check it out. All right. uh, So let's get into some hockey. Ooh. 
That's when I put out on Twitter, what should we talk about? And someone was like, hockey. They talk about football year-round. Why, why can't you do it about hockey, too? Oh, yeah, we <laughs> never do that. Fuck. Who is that? Are you listening? I hope I you're listening know. because we do shows through August, you motherfuckers, every like- week talking about <laughs> hockey. Give us a break. And here's God. the thing, like, that is true that they talk about football year-round, but football never ceases operations. That's the thing, like, <laughs> yeah, we were talking about football last week on WIP because there was fucking free agency. Like, it was happening. Tom Brady left the Patriots. There were things to talk about. Hockey uh, is kind of at a standstill right now, but not entirely. Uh, I just read right before we started re- recording that the NHL is rescheduling a bunch of stuff, and my initial reaction to it was like, ah, shit, like, for, like, the draft, do we really need to have the draft live? Like, why does that need to be rescheduled? And the whole thing made me really pessimistic. But then Charlie brought up a pretty good point. So what was that, Charlie? Yeah, my point was that, like, I'm I'm far from optimistic that this season is going to get back started or the playoffs are going to happen or whatever. But to me, then this postponement hints that the NHL still is having hope that they can get this finished in some way because if they had resigned themselves to just canceling everything and that was just an inevitability like why wouldn't you just keep the draft especially the draft the days it was supposed to be because then it's just like well there's not going to be any more games but we're just going to have the offseason as if the offseason is going at its normal pace and you know we'll do june 30th is the start of free agency and july 1st is the first day of free agency and things like that if they're talking about pushing back the draft that seems to imply to me that they're leaving the possibility open for like well if we play in july maybe we can do the draft when everything is done and just have an offseason like that so I'm not saying I'm particularly optimistic, but I don't know why you would do this unless you at least have hope that you might be able to get this going again. Because even if like we're all still under quarantine in June, they could always hold the draft over phone or over video conference. Like there's no there's no reason why you have to do the draft in person. Drafts, you know, years ago were were done over the phone. They were done via conference call. So like if if the if the expectation was that there's no chance that a season would, would get restarted, then I would think they would have just kept it as is. And the fact that they pushed it back actually makes me think that, at the very least, they still are, are giving themselves hope that this could get back going in some way. What uh, that, This has come up a little bit, and I'm sure it's just a real simple answer, but standard NHL contracts run until July 1st. That's when contracts expire. That's when free agency starts. How would they handle, like, how are they, if they're going to be playing games in July and August? Is it just, like, a, a, an agreement between the union and the owners? Like, hey, everything gets extended two months. How do they handle this? So it's kind of a weird situation because, like, legally, if you really wanted to tie this up in court, the league, like, let's say the league and the NHLP were, were at odds over this. The NHL could theoretically argue that these contracts last until the end of the league year. And if the league year is extended beyond June 30th, then the contracts are extended beyond June 30th anyway. That said, the NHLPA could theoretically fight that. At the same time, like, 
my guess is they'll probably just come to some sort of agreement because it's in it's in both sides' vested interests if the games can be played in July or August to play games in July and August because the NHLPA wants to make more money because they don't want to get killed by escrow. And the NHL obviously wants to make money so they don't take a billion-dollar shortfall, which is apparently what they've projected would happen if they don't play the rest of the season and the playoffs. So in theory, you could argue that contracts don't expire until the end of the league year. And if the league year is extended, then contracts haven't expired yet that said there's no reason for the two sides to fight on this so I imagine they would just come to some sort of agreement that's like well you know the league year is now ending on August 20th and that's when all contracts expire yeah so that's a it's a it seems like it would be a pretty simple solution simply because yeah both sides benefit from actually finishing this thing out uh, with the escrow, with the gate losses and everything, negotiating a new TV contract soon. All these things are going to come up, and um, having not played games isn't going to be good for anybody. Some Flyers news also happened this week that Yay. I guess we should get into, because it was, I don't know about one of our main concerns, but it was a it was a talking point that people like on Twitter, whenever you know I ask for ideas, they're like, hey, what's up with our, uh, you know, our college players, some of our... Some of our prospects whose, you know, our, our rights to them expire at some point, whether it be this offseason or later in the summer. Tanner Lazinski, one of those guys, he finished up his fourth year at Ohio State. He'll be 23 on June 1st, and he has signed his entry-level contract with the Flyers organization. So he is here. Um, I, he had a huge sophomore year at Ohio State. 47 points in 41 games. His fr- his freshman, junior, and senior year, uh, he averaged 32 points in that those seasons, basically all around the same points totals. Tanner Lazinski, he's he seems like he can definitely have an NHL floor, but where do we see him fitting in in the near future? Is he a guy who might make the team out of camp? You know, say everything starts right in September and we get the season kicked off in October. What, what, how do you think uh, Tanner Lazinski fits in here? I feel like I, I've i stopped caring about Tanner Lazinski, if that makes sense. I feel like of the two guys that have been lumped together for a while for obvious reasons, him and Wade Allison. Um, like, Wade Allison is the guy that I'm really like, come on, sign a contract because I think I want you on my hockey team. Whereas Tanner Lazinski strikes me as a player that could maybe be a solid bottom sixer and maybe he's just a really good AHLer and he had that weird thing where he missed camp for some school reason that was him right yeah well he we missed development camp because he needed to get more classes in to graduate yeah it's just like everything about him is just like all right dude like you're 23 all right like I just don't and also I just don't know where he would fit into the lineup right now I mean, I think it's fair to say the Flyers have a lot of, like, legitimate bottom six type prospects. Yeah. And he, I think he absolutely qualifies as one. That said, he's always been one of the ones that I've liked. Um, and I think if there's anything that this year has shown, it's that with injuries, with guys underperforming, with some prospects like Vorobiev not turning out the way we want, it's good to have a lot of these types of guys. And Lazinski, what I think is cool about Lazinski for the Flyers, from the Flyers' standpoint in the short term, is that like he's physically ready. He can, 
his NHL readiness will be decided just simply by whether he's good enough. And we just don't know until we see him against AHL or NHL level competition. But if you're talking about like, can he hold up in the corners and you know, can he win puck battles? Like, yeah, yeah, he can. I mean, he, that that's not. I mean, he's 23. Yeah, that's not a worry. My but my point is that there's a lot of guys like you know with Rubsoff. That's a concern because he's young yeah. and he's not fully you know you know filled out. That was a concern with David Kasha. Like there are guys in that mold where that's a legitimate concern. With Lazinski, it's literally just like, okay, well, let's find out how good he is. And I think there's a chance that he could be pretty darn good. And, like, by pretty darn good, I don't necessarily mean, like, yeah, he's going to be dramatically moving the needle. But, I mean, we all were pretty darn excited about Nick Albe Cubell. And I'm not saying that Tanner Lazinski plays the style that Nick Albe Cubell plays. But it wouldn't blow me away if Tanner Lazinski could have a similar type of impact as Albe Cubell in terms of all-nice value being added to the team. And, yeah, I get excited about adding a guy like that because what's the harm, right? And when you talk about the style Albe Cubell plays, that's something I want to get into with uh, with the bottom si- the stockpile of bottom six prospects that the Flyers seem to do have. Uh, while, you know, there don't me- seem to be many huge stars on the horizon here they seem to have a big crop of these guys and we learned you know this season how important that depth is and you bring up a Vorobiev and when we talk about that NAK style listen anyone can play that style it's a learned thing you just have to want to and it's at a certain point you just have to look at Vorobiev and go yeah I mean he's got the ability but didn't really want to play that way he's not that aggressive he's just not doesn't have it in him to play that way, doesn't really feel like it, if you can get to these guys and turn them into, guess what, you're going to be a straight-ahead attack-style power forward, that's what you are, and I really do like his size. It is hilarious, though, that right now, 6'1", 205, that's pretty big in this league. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's a big boy. Yeah, I mean, he can play, and he's, you know, the, the one thing that's always, I think, kept him from being you know, a real impact level prospect, both at the college. I mean, he's very good in college. Don't get me wrong, but not like a superstar level guy. Um, he's not an amazing skater. Like I don't, I wouldn't call him slow. I don't think he's like, you know, Matt Strom levels of skating, but he's just not super fast. So he has to play the kind of game where, you know, he's going to beat you with his smarts and he's going to win battles on the, around along the boards and things like that. He's got, you know, good hands with the puck. He makes plays you know, I'm certainly not comparing him to Oscar Limbaugh because Oscar Limbaugh I was way, way, way higher on. But, like, stylistically, it's not a ridiculous comparison in terms of, like, how Limbaugh succeeded, despite the fact that he's not a burner. So, like, I, I, that's why I said, like, I could see him providing similar value as an all-way Q-Bell, but he's not going to play like that. He's going to be the kind of guy who, okay. you know, could be on a fourth line that is more of, like, a grinded-out kind of guy. You know, he's going to get in the corner, and he's going to four-check hard, and, you know, he's going to win battles and make make plays for other people. So, I, I like Lazinski. I've liked him for a while. I've always thought that, you know, maybe in a best-case scenario, he becomes a really good middle six forward. And I think that's that's possible. That said, you know, these guys are always going to be lottery tickets. You know, they're lottery ticket players. And the the way it works with an organization when you're trying to build up your prospect depth is you get a lot of these types of guys because some of them ain't going to work out and some of them are. And Lazinski is, to me, a viable lottery ticket. You know, he's not a 
he's not a Matt Strom. He's not a guy like, you know, where you're just, you know, you sign him and you're just kind of hoping, like, you know, you're not really expecting, but you're hoping. I think Lazinski is a guy that you can have legitimate hopes can be a useful NHLer. And considering they got him in the sixth round, that's not a bad guy to add to an organization. I'm still not ready to give up on Matt Strom yet. You hold your tongue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the tools are there. Just gotta I mean, he's get been, it going. like, what, most of the year just in the ECHL this year? Gotta get those feet going. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Now that we're talking about prospects here, and it looks like Matt Strom was left off our top 25 under 25 for the first <laughs> time, um, we have kicked off the 25 under 25 on Broad Street Hockey. Check out broadstreethockey.com. Uh, we are all the way up to number 17. I think it was 19, uh, 17, 18, 19 were uh, released today, mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday. So keep up with that. It's going to be something. At least it's some sort of hockey content for you. Uh, during the league shutdown, but uh, I just I, I guess we can get into that now because uh, honestly, the first thing that stood out to me when I started reading all the um, twenty five under twenty five articles today was Samuel Moran is still twenty five years old. Now he was an honorable mention, didn't make it, and uh, like God. you know, the dude just hasn't played any hockey like the last two years. It seems so. It's just kind of hard to lump him in. To the group when the Flyers have, like Charlie said, such a stockpile of these lottery tickets. He's a guy who's been hanging around and hasn't really been able to uh, make a name for himself on the ice lately. But Samuel Moran is still under 25 years old. That is unbelievable to me. I need to know who in our organization ranked him. Like, there are absolutely 25 guys in this organization that can be ranked above Sam Moran without really arguing that much about it. And I'm not even... He was 26th, I think. Like, I'm not even going to get into the fact that he sucks and I hate him, but, like, he hasn't played (laughs) hockey in a whole year, and we are fortunate enough to have a farm system that has some talent in it. And I cannot believe that people that write for our website ranked Samuel Moran at all on their list. I mean, he played in some games last year. They're this year before he tore his ACL again. He did. I mean, whatever. Here's the thing. I I, I agree with you, Kelly. We have a lot, and I don't know if I could have, like, included Moran. Like, maybe I would have put him at 25 or something. Um, But there are some people on this list, and we'll get into it as we go through it, that I'm like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> like, would I really rank them here? I don't know, and we'll get into it. Before First, let's do the honorable mention. So it's Samuel Moran. It's the, uh, it's the two Wyatts, Wiley and uh, Kalanick. Uh, Kirill Ustamenko did not make the top 25, which is just a real heartbreaker for me. I ranked And him. Charlie's guy, Linus Hogberg, did not make the top 25. Yeah, well, he might not be signed. So, I, I mean, he, he's they have until, I believe... I want to say June 1st to make a decision on him. So uh, he might, he really might not be on this list next time because he might not even be a Flyers, uh, you know, Flyers might not even hold the rights to him anymore. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to, I was going to talk about Ustamenko. So if you want to talk about the hog. Oh, no, the uh, Hogberg. No, I was just, um, I thought I read he was one of the later summer guys that they lose his rights, but it could be June. 5. I don't I think, it, well, I think the college remember. guys are August 15th. So they actually had okay. a little bit more time for for Lezinski, but they obviously chose to lock him up now. And then I think the I think they'll lock up Allison pretty soon as well. Uh, Kalniuk is similar, but his rights don't. 
he's he's in a weird spot because my understanding of of his situation is that so he's a junior he theoretically go back to school for another year and the flyers and him might decide that that's the best path for maybe that's what he wants to do but like in theory what he could do is he could like drop out of school and if he does then he could sign with anybody so like if he were to choose to like like unenroll from the university of wisconsin then he would be subject to the august 15th flyers lose your rights kind of thing alternatively the flyers could sign him they could sign him tomorrow and then he could turn pro or the two sides could just decide that he's going back to school for another year and then the flyers would keep his rights for another season until next august 15th so kownick is is in an interesting spot i'm curious to see whether they do ultimately sign him this year and, and what direction that goes but um but yeah, I, I believe the Swedish guys are in j- early June, I think. Don't hold me to that, but I think that's the date for them. Kelly, what do you have on my Belarusian brother? So I was actually surprised he didn't make the list, only because, um, like, I know he's pretty deep as far as, you know, goalie depth goes. Um, but he has played a couple of games with the Phantoms this season in which he's looked pretty good. Like, at this point... Um, I mean, my dream is dead with Felix Sandstrom. Like, he is absolutely not going to be the next Henrik Lundqvist, even though I was trying to make it happen. It's just not going to happen. But Ustamenko looks like he's going to turn out to be – I mean, he could – goalies are voodoo. But he could end up being a pretty good goaltender. Like, it, I was just surprised that more people didn't um, give him any points for getting called up from Reading and performing pretty well in the AHL. Yeah, I think uh, I think people are just kind of afraid of goalies. Yeah, it's it's just it's hard to it's, it really is hard to rank them, especially in a list that's like, man, I can just look at someone's point totals and kind of know what kind of player they are. I have no idea what the Reading Royals' defense is in comparison <laughs> to the league, so I have no fucking clue if he's standing on his head and they're just getting because it's. 25 match Stroms on the team mm-hmm. and they're just getting blown by or what? I don't know. So it's, yeah. it is tough. Uh, I like Ustamenko simply because of his nation of origin, mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's get to the list now. Uh, coming in at number 25, a guy we saw make the team just this past, uh, you know, after uh, out of camp, he played for the flyers this season. Carson Torensky makes the, uh, makes the list at number 25, I thought he'd be higher just because um, really? we I, I thought he'd be higher just because he's got NHL experience and once you get that you're kind of like okay he can play in the NHL. People do use that as a metric. I generally don't. Charlie, did you do a list? Uh I didn't because I don't write for the site anymore. Um, I know that. Uh I don't know. This like I feel like 25 seems about right for me for, I did not for, rank for Torinsky. Carson like, right around this range. Like I didn't. I didn't hate what I saw from him in the NHL. I. I thought he. I didn't think he was anything especially amazing. But he wasn't. He was the kind of guy where, like, if he were to get called up after a rash of injuries, I wouldn't be like, oh shit. Be like, okay, yeah, he can hold his own for you know five, six games if necessary. That said, for him to be a full time NHLer, he absolutely has to take a couple more steps forward. I think. Um, can he do it? I don't know. I mean, I've never been. I've never been a super huge believer in Torinsky's skill set, but I always have liked his shot. And he's a strong kid. Like, he can win battles. He can be aggressive. He can be a good F1 on the forecheck. So there's something there. I I don't know. 
I've always found it odd that he seems to perform so well in camp. And then during the season, he kind of like drops back down to being kind of underwhelming or just more or less like just a dude. Like he's had two straight camps now where he's looked very good and earned himself. The first time he earned himself like a very long look. And the second time he actually earned a job on the team. So I just, I guess that like there, there's something there. I'm not sure if it's ever going to fully manifest in like a full-time NHLer, but there's enough that I've seen that yeah, I think he probably deserves to be on the list. He would this is around probably around where I would have put him. Yeah, what you just described is why I didn't rank him. Like he, at this point for me, he's like trending towards Vorobiev category where it's like I'm tired of you getting chances that you don't take advantage of. Well, did you put Vorobiev on the list? Uh, let me see. Vorobiev uh, is on our list. I don't know about Kelly's. I had him at 22. Okay. So, not terribly That's, high. like, I haven't seen enough Terensky. Like, at this point, I don't think, I don't think Vorobiev's problems are skill-based. I think Vorobiev's problems are desire-based. And, like, Terensky, I don't see that out of Terensky yet. If I see yeah. him play 20 more games, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. But I, I just, like, I think Vorobiev is a guy who isn't going to make it because he uh, just doesn't it doesn't have it, whatever that, you know, that thing is. Uh, I, I don't know if Tur- Turensky does or not. But we do have it. Number 24. Number 24 is my first real issue. Uh, with the list, like I'd, I'd take any one of the honorable mentions, honestly, over former first round pick Jay O'Brien of BCHL fame. Did not rank on my list. Listen, he's got the first round pedigree and people see the numbers he's putting up this year. Here's my thing. 18 guys who played in the NHL this year are younger than him. And he's in the freaking BCHL. Like, 46 guys born in 1999 or later played in the NHL this year. And he's in some league I didn't hear of ever until (laughs) he dropped out of school and started playing in it. Eh. Eh. Yeah, I have... tells me he ain't gonna make it. Yeah, I, I decided a long time ago that when someone is drafted too high, I don't attach that to the player. I attach that to the team that did it um and he was taken too high and that's not his fault but I don't think that that means that we should give him more of a chance than you would give someone else or allow him to I don't know I just I just don't the fact that he was taken in the first round for me is meaningless like he has really dropped off and like I don't know what to do about that but like I said, this is a a deep farm system, and I'm not ranking some dude who's playing in the BCHL on a list of the 25 best players in this organization under the age of 25. It's just not happening. Like, I think that he is definitely talented. Um, I just don't know what his problem is. I don't know why he's fallen off yeah, this like, hard. He's, he's listed ahead of, you know, at 24, he's listed ahead of Torensky at 25, who played in the NHL this year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. See, I actually, I kind of, you know, you said something, Kelly, they were like, well, I think he's talented. I just don't know what happened. See, I kind of, I kind of go the other way in that, like, I don't really know 
if he's that talented. Like when I when I saw him at his first development camp, what jumped out for me with him was just how tenacious he was. That he was a really tenacious four checker. You know, he looked like the kind of like an energy type guy. He looked like a guy who, you know, man, like he's he he's a guy who you would hate to play against because he's just always moving. I didn't see any like super duper high end skill. And usually with these guys, you know, guys who played in in the you know Canadian juniors or guys who played for the US national development team or whatever like you can go back and you can watch tape and you can be like man you know that that, that guy I see where the the high end skill is I see why he's a first round pick with O'Brien he played in high school for the Flyers draft so like you didn't really know he was just kind of an unknown because we can't we all couldn't go up to Fair Academy and watch him play and they don't really record too many high school games from yeah. Massachusetts. So, like to me, I look at O'Brien and I see a guy who, you know, he's got some talent, I'm sure, but like he at this point, unless he unless he shows up in um where's he going? Uh BU next year? Is that where he's uh, he's transferring to, I think? Um, out right. of the BCHL, like he shows up in college next year and lights it up, and that then then I have tape, then I can watch and see. Okay, what do I, how do I think his skill set's going to translate? At this point, I look at him based on what I've seen from him and and the production he's put up, and I'm like, he's another one of those lottery ticket bottom sixer types, and you know maybe he turns himself into an energy guy who can you know who can be an all-bay Cubell type or or be a you know what what we're hoping Carson Torinsky can turn into, but. I've really seen nothing. I see nothing from the numbers or from what I've seen with my own two eyes from him to lead me to believe that like there's this super duper score waiting to be unearthed from from him because like yeah he lit up U.S. high school great. I, there's a lot of guys who light up U.S. high school that don't even get drafted. So I, I agree with you in the sense that like you know we shouldn't judge him based on his first round pick. But I think the fact that he was taken in the first round has like leads a lot of people to believe like, Oh, he must have all this talent bottled up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And like, I just don't know if he does. Cause I don't know if there was ever really any proof aside from the fact that he clearly convinced Ron Hextall of it. I don't know if there was any proof that he was this like super duper first line caliber potential guy. Like, I, I've, I've just, I guess for me, I've just, I've lowered my expect, my realistic expectations for Jay O'Brien, and he can change that if he goes back to college next year and blows up. But right now, I'm looking at him as a guy who, yeah, maybe he ends up being a good third liner. Maybe that's his ceiling. Whereas after they drafted him, because I trusted Ron Hextall and his ability to evaluate talent, I was like, hey, maybe this guy has top six or potential, and he just, you know, wasn't very well known because he played in high school. Yeah, well, they. You know, I heard comparisons to Mike Richards when he was drafted, so that's the standard I'm holding him to. Um, Does not meet it. (laughs) Let's go to number 23 now. Another guy who we've seen uh, even even more this year of, Connor Bunneman, an NHL, or Connor Bunneman, a decent enough fourth-line center. Seems like they kind of, you know, replaced him with the Nate Thompson trade, then Thompson goes down, so he gets another chance, and then, of course... The season gets postponed, so Connor Bunneman at 23, um, it seems like we're, it seems like as we go down this list, like, okay, we know what Terensky is, we know what Bunneman is, we know what, there's a couple other names coming up we've seen here this year, um, so we're kind of just saying they're, what we've, what we've seen of them is what they are, 
And then as the list, uh, like as the list continues to make its way to the you know higher ranked players, it's more potential until we get to you know like Travis Konechny, obviously gonna be high, Carter Hart, all those guys, star NHLers. But it seems like. NHL experience for these bottom six guys is kind of held against them because we're like, okay, he's a fourth liner, so he's a fourth liner forever. Is that what you're thinking with Bunneman here? So here's the thing. I ranked him at 15, and the reason that I did is not because I think Connor Bunneman has the potential to be some kind of like game-changing player, but I think that we saw with him on the fourth line this season what having a competent fourth line does for a team overall and he might not be super good or remarkable in any real way but he proved to me I think that he is an extremely reliable fourth line player and that's not a bad thing to have like you have to have those guys like obviously in my dream world you know we have four number one lines that can score and, you know, everyone's super talented, but that's not realistic. No one ever is going to put their team together that way. And I think that Bunneman was part of the best fourth line that played this season. And that's, I think, really valuable to the team. So he got pretty bumped up for me. Yeah, I don't think I would put him as high as you, Kelly. And there are I don't a couple know if I would put I... him that high again. This is one of those ones where I was like, all right. <laughs> no, I, with these lists, he would definitely so be on my list, mood. though. <laughs> it is. But no, Sorry, he would he would definitely he would definitely be on my list. Like my thing with Bunneman, and I agree with you that he was a good fourth line center, I think, for for the um you know, for the Flyers during that run. The second time he came out, the first time when he made the team out of camp, he looked really bad in October. He just didn't look like he was ready at all. But uh but the second time after he got called up, after he had recovered from the high ankle sprain that he suffered uh, with the Phantoms, he looked pretty good. That said, there are a couple things that do give me pause. The first thing is that I do wonder how much I wonder how much of how good like and not only the fourth line was like amazing but it was it was good it was a good fourth line. It was good. I wonder how much of that was him and how much of that was just Albie Cubell and Raffle dragging that line. Like I don't I just don't know like he wasn't so much of a liability that they were bad but I don't know if he was the reason they were good if that makes sense. Like Albie Cubell I thought I was it. playing fantastic and Roffle I thought was playing like Michael Roffle like playing like a guy who you know can survive on the third line and is a great fourth liner and Bunneman was just the third guy on the line and not saying that's not valuable it's important to have guys who aren't going to drag everybody down but I don't know if he was driving it the second thing is that you know at some point if you're a fourth liner you do have to score on occasion and he had two points in 21 games now granted that's partially inflated because he had those games at the beginning of the year when he just clearly wasn't ready but you're going to need to see a little bit more offense out of him you know in like the the 15 to 20 point a year range over 82 games for him to really be a viable every night fourth liner and I don't think he's there yet that said I like enough things about his skill set that I think he could get there. And I see a more plausible path to him getting there than I do, say, Twarinsky, because I think Bunneman, Bunneman's big, big concern throughout his junior career and into his first year with the Phantoms was skating. His skating got a lot better, a lot better last summer. He really worked his ass off and he became a much better skater. And now it's a matter of the instincts. You know, does he have good enough offensive instincts to hold the zone? But 
all the things that were already good about his game, which was, you know, his ability to hold his own in puck battles. He is a pretty smart player. You know, he has the ability to play wing and center. These all become things that are now more valuable because he's not two strides behind the play like he was before. So I like Bunneman. I would probably have put him in like the 20 to 25 range. I don't think I would put him as high as you, but I, I would have had him on my list. Absolutely. Fair. All right, and now here's where we start to get to the part of the list that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure some people at Broad Street Hockey who take these lists seriously and whose thing is uh, whose thing is prospects. If you're making your name based on prospect evaluations, absolutely. But how many people listening? How many people at Broad Street Hockey? How many people in the world have ever seen Samuel Urson play? Well, did you watch juniors? Okay, how many people have seen him play more than three games? Not that many. Like, I'm just saying, how is Connor Bunneman and Carson Terensky behind Samuel Ursaw? Well, I mean, I, 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 can, I can see your point on Bunneman, I guess, but, like, the argument, the reason why you would put Terensky behind those guys is if you just don't think Carson Terensky is an NHL player. Like, he played okay. in the NHL, but that doesn't mean he's an NHL player, like, in terms of he should be in the NHL. Like, yeah, Tyrell, thing. Like, if like you... Tyrell Goldborn was an NHL player. Was he actually an NHL player? No, he just played in the NHL because, you know, Ron Hextall wanted to, like, scare his team into playing harder. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't assign a lot of value to has played games in the NHL. So, for me, that's not really a, a thing. Like, I... Isn't that, like, the goal when you have a prospect, you want to get them yes. to the NHL? Yes, but some of them just haven't yet, but that doesn't mean that they're not, like, for me, just for example, like a guy like Wade Allison, who has not played in the NHL yet, for me, has a very strong potential to be a lot more valuable to the organization than Connor Bunneman ever will on his best day. And just because Connor Bunneman has already reached that potential... I don't think that makes him more valuable than someone who just isn't that far along yet. And I think that's why people... I didn't rank Urson. Um, I thought he looked good in junior, but I also think that sometimes people have a tendency, because we all watch it, and it's exciting yeah, and fun, that they, if someone looks good in that tournament, all of a sudden it's like, you know, they're going to be the next great thing or whatever. And he... I looked at his numbers in the SHL, and they're not terrible, but they're not, like, great. He's like no, a... Like considering, a God. considering his age, considering what he's done at lower levels, considering what he's done at World Juniors, his first year in the SHL, he's not doing too poorly. He's got an 895 save percentage and a 290 goals against, yeah. and his team is, like, not very good. Yeah. So he's yeah. he's doing what he can. I, I'm not trying to bash the guy or anybody. I just, I don't know. I, I look at Connor Bunneman and go, you know what I know about Connor Bunneman? He's an <laughs> NHL player. You know what I know about Samuel Urson? He owns pads and the fly, and he's the Flyers' property. <laughs> well, I, I think, this and this is just me. Well, we had this debate, I feel like, last year when it came to Robert Haig, and there were some people, you know, Robert Haig obviously was an NHL player. You know, he's clearly an established NHL player. Even if the Flyers let him go, someone else is going to pay him to be an NHL player. But there are people at BSH that either had him very far down their list or I believe didn't even have him on their list at all because their Did opinion was, well, 
he's he's in the NHL, but he provides negative value in the NHL. So in reality, him being on the team is bad. So I'm not putting him on my top 25 under 25 because he's a net negative for the roster. And I think that would be the argument for you know why you would put a prospect over a Carson Terensky or over a Connor Bunneman. Now, granted, I think Connor Bunneman is a positive value player, so I'd probably have him over most of the prospects. Now, I don't think I'd have him over Urson because I actually like Urson a lot, and I think that he's I have him as a top 10 Flyers prospect, but I do think there's a point where you know, certainty of NHL contribution, even if it's not a significant role, is higher than, you know, like, for example, I would put Bonneman over Lezinski. Why? Because Bonneman has already shown to me that he can hold the zone as a fourth liner in the NHL, whereas Lezinski's ceiling to me is like, third liner and I have no idea if he can do that but like if your ceiling is second liner or your ceiling is potential starting goalie that's the the possibility of that is more valuable to me than a guy who like is a fourth liner and I don't see a huge path to him being more than that full disclosure Urson bothers me because he's jumped ahead of Ustamenko (laughs) (laughs) well I I thought the reason why Kelly doesn't like Urson is because she was already burned by Felix Sandstrom it's true. I can't put my faith in another Swedish goaltender. They can't be trusted. <laughs> I'm a listen. If you're not North American, I don't believe in you. I'm just xenophobic that way. I, well, or Belarusian. <laughs> yeah, right. that's the exception. Well, yeah, obviously. If you grew up in a country that has the KGB, like still, you're a badass. <laughs> right? That's all I'm saying. Where the hell are we now on this list? Uh, number twenty-one. Everyone's favorite. Here Mikhail we go. Vorobiev. How is Vorobiev ahead of Bunneman? They they have the same job except Bunneman beat him out for it. Okay, I I actually I agree that that's ridiculous. There's there's no way that Vorobiev should be ahead of Bunneman. Hmm. There's just there's just no way. I mean Vorobiev, I believe Vorobiev's a year older than Bunneman, right? And he's done less in the NHL than Bunneman has. Yeah. All right. In my defense, I okay, did rank ahead, Bunneman Kelly. higher than Vorobiev because I am smart <laughs> and good. Well, you're on the show. You are the cream of the crop at Broad Street Hockey. Also, uh, however, just for funsies, uh, spoiler alert, just because Car- Charlie was talking about it, I did not rank Robert Haig again this season. So He aged out, suck right? It. No, he's still on it. Really? Yeah. I thought he aged out. I didn't. Oh, okay. I think he might have just made it. Either way, he's not on my list. All right. Uh, to have Vorobiev at 21 ahead of some guys who are actually, like, uh, Bunneman, that's that's who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. My question is, say Vorobiev, like, figures it out, like, realizes he has to keep his feet moving all the time when he's on the ice. Say he figures that out. Is he a better hockey player than Bunneman if he's trying just as hard as Bunneman? I don't think I know. Because we've never actually seen it, really. So I don't know what he is. Besides disappointing. I, I, I guess I understand. I mean, I, I totally disagree with it, to be clear. I guess I understand it because there are still people who are, like, really invested in the skill set of Vorobiev. That, like, you know, he has had flashes of greatness in the AHL. He's had a couple games in the NHL where he's looked like, hey, maybe this guy could be, like, a third-line center. Like, those first, what is it, the first two games of the um not this season but the season before yeah, when he made the those team first he, two games. yeah he looked good and then he just stopped playing 
Um, so th- that probably sticks in people's mind, and I get that to a degree. It's just that, man, like, he's shown less than nothing on the whole in the NHL. Like, talking about guys who's been a net negative in the NHL so far, and he's been one of them. And I agree. I, I Somebody like Bunneman, who has at least shown the ability over weeks at a time to be part of a successful NHL line. That's something Vorobiev has not shown. And I'm not even, like, like I don't think Vorobiev has a place in this organization. Like, I just don't see him fitting. I don't know where he could fit. I think this was his last chance, and he kind of blew it. I could plausibly see him finding his way somewhere else if he were to stay in North America. My theory of Vorobiev, and this is has slowly developed over time, is that I think he's the kind of guy where there are some players that just are not mentally able to play in limited minutes. They can't play eight minutes in a game because they're just not engaged. They don't get engaged with the game. They sit on the bench for four minutes straight. They lose. They just lose that intensity level, and they go back on the ice, and they skate around for 40 seconds, and they wait another three minutes for the next shift, and they're just totally ineffective. There are some guys who need to be getting 14, 15, 16 minutes a game to be effective, and I, my theory is that he's one of those guys, and that's why he looks so much better in the AHL than he does the NHL. The thing is, is that... On this Flyers team, he's never going to get those minutes because they just are too deep. Like, I was honestly, when they were, when the Flyers were talking to Ottawa about Pajot, I was really hoping that he would get sent back to Ottawa. And I know it sounds bad because it's like, well, send him to Ottawa. But, like, that's the perfect situation for him because they have no one. They could have, they would have traded for him and they would have immediately put him on the second or third line because they literally have nobody else. And then he would have gotten an extended look with, like, decent line mates but most importantly actual minutes and we could have seen what he can do but I just don't if, if that's actually the reason why he hasn't worked in the NHL so far like that's not going to be a problem that's fixed with this team because yeah. he's never going to be above a fourth liner when you have Claude Giroux and Chokaturia and Kevin Hayes and hopefully Nolan Patrick and then you got guys like Connor Bunneman and German Rubsoff and just so many guys he's never going to be above a fourth liner so I just don't see where he fits when we were talking about the like NAK's style of play and how like it's a choice to play that way it's not yes. like some guys are just more tenacious mentally than others but like most fighters in the league you know when there were still guys like that at some point were really good players and then realized oh i'm not good enough doing that thing i'm not going to be on the first two lines like Vorobiev screams of me like you were just saying he's a guy who's been a first or a second line player his whole life and now he isn't, in the NHL at least, and he isn't of that mindset that I need to adapt or I will not make it. He just doesn't seem to have that in him, and that's, I don't know. I don't think, I probably would have had him at 25 on my list. At number 20, somebody who we saw a brief uh, we saw a brief appearance up here, and a lot of people are high on him, David Kotcha. <laughs> where did I rank Kelly, this? where'd you have him? 19. All right, so you're right there. Nailed it. Yeah, I really liked what I saw from him um, when he was up here. He seemed it was so cool. He scored against the Ducks. Yeah, yeah and he just fun. seems like a like a like he's got wheels and he's like speedy and fun and I like that kind of player. And also, um, Brad and Maddie, who I trust pretty implicitly about Phantoms things, are super high on him, and I figure there must be a reason. So, I. Yeah, I had him at 19. 
yeah, I, I've been a long, I've been a long-standing David Kasha skeptic. The one thing I've always said about him is that he's an extremely noticeable player on the ice. And he's mm-hmm. always been like that. I mean, dating back to you know when he played for the um, for the Czech team at World Juniors years ago, you know, he was always the kind of guy where you flipped on a Czech game and you were watching that and you you noticed David Kasha. He popped out. He popped off the screen because he was always doing stuff. He was always skating fast with the puck. He was always hitting somebody in the corners. He was always making a play. He just never really scored a lot ever. And my my concern with him was always what what role is there for a low scoring super small forward in the NHL? Like a guy who doesn't score a lot but does stuff but also is like 170 and super small. And I still have that worry that I just don't know where he fits. That said, I thought he looked fine in the NHL this year. He took a step forward in the in the AHL this year, especially from a play driving standpoint uh, as we know from from Brad's tracking. So Maybe he turns himself into a, th- a third or fourth line winger who drives play and doesn't score a lot, but it doesn't matter because the team's outscoring the other team when he's on the ice. Maybe. I just he's gonna have to find the right coach that believes in him enough that is okay with the fact that like I don't think he's gonna score a lot. Because I just I've I've never seen anything in his game that leads me to believe that he's gonna magically start scoring a lot at the NHL level because he's never scored anywhere. But I do. He's a fun player to watch, and I do like a lot of what he does. I just I've always worried about where he fits. Fair. That's interesting. Okay, that's interesting. I like that. Uh, that's a decent explanation. I thought he showed himself pretty well in the the brief stint he had up here, and he looks like a guy who can be in the mix. He can be in the I mix for this bottom six thing that they're going to be throwing together, especially as long as there is no Nolan Patrick and there mm-hmm. is no Oscar Lindblom. The The lineup is going to be, uh, you know, what we saw for most of this year. Guys coming in and out with injuries, not really sure who the 13th or 14th forward is. You know, the uh, he only really got a shot because of a rash of injuries to the Phantoms, too. Like, mm-hmm. they called up the Phantoms to be like, hey, who's there? And they're like, uh, uh, Flex? (laughs) (laughs) I miss Flex. Anyway. Me too, man. He was the best. Coming in at number 19, Noah Cates. Before I just I just realized we're like closing in on an hour and we haven't even reached the point that says ad break yet. I know. Good for us. Uh, But yeah, number 19, Noah Cates. I had him at 18. So I kind of, so this is, uh. This ranking is based purely on the fact that when I went to Dev Camp this year, one, exactly one day, um, I thought that Noah Cates looked really good and fun, and I decided that I liked him. So I put him at 18. It's a very specific metric that I use here. Through, uh, through 34 games, the University of Minnesota Duluth, he's got 33 points. Um, looks like a guy who he's, I mean, yeah, improved from his uh, total last year. Mm-hmm. He's only a sophomore, so a, a lot of people have been high on him. He was on the uh, World Juniors team for the NA, or for Team USA this year. There's a lot to like about Cates. I'm a big Noah Cates fan, and he's a guy who I kind of had to take some time to come around on. Um, when he was drafted, I was like, yeah, he's, that's a cool pick. You know, there's, there's upside there. I like the, uh, I like the idea of taking a guy like that in the fifth round. And then I just kind of filed it away, and you know he looked okay in his first dev camp. It wasn't anything that blew me away. He looked fine. The more people I talk to in the game 
like I realize just how highly people people value them like oh he's like a scout's favorite and the more you watch him the more you kind of see why like he's a really smart player he wins a lot of puck battles he's he's got good hands the skating has been the the thing that you know some people worry about but it is getting progressively better and he's just becoming a like he's becoming in my mind one of the flyers better prospects he's probably now turned into one of my favorite under the radar prospects for the flyers like when we did our our athletic prospect rankings uh, I ranked him seventh as the seventh, the Flyers' seventh best prospect, wow. which was way higher than than where Alex Appleyard ranked him. But that was at least in part due to the fact that number one, I know that scouts love him. Number two, I know the Flyers really like this guy. Like he had thirty three points in thirty four games for University of Minnesota Duluth, who by the way are like one of the best teams in college hockey. Like they they won the championship last year, and they were going to make a real case to possibly win it again this year had everything not been canceled, but. This is a guy who, like, I don't think he's a first-line talent, but if you told me, like, hey, you could stick him on, you know, his his ceiling is that you could stick him on your second line, he could be, like, the third-best player in a second line, yeah, I, I could see that. And I think, like, I don't know if he's going to turn pro this year. He might stay for one more year, but he might turn pro. And he's a... He's a, I don't know. He's a guy I'm, I've gotten progressively higher on as the years, as the years have went by. And I'm, I'm a big Noah Cates fan. See, I knew I was smart to like him. Just knew it. There you go. There you go, Kelly. <laughs> he's 6'2", 190, so he's not small. Like, if he were to turn pro, it wouldn't be like, oh, he's going to get killed out there. Uh, I'll tell you what I really like about him. Place of birth, Stillwater, Minnesota. How do you not? I mean, that's one of the best bands ever, Stillwater. <laughs> Almost famous, <laughs> baby the almost famous reference i was hoping someone would pick up on. oh i got it uh, it's a great yeah, movie yeah. uh at number 18 a guy we already talked about pretty extensively tanner lazinski uh he comes in at 18 and then at 17 another guy we've been talking about i mean because he's charlie's favorite prospect we talk about him every show that... wade allison at 17 hey you know what us gingers have to stick together okay you really do like ava <laughs> ava supports all redheads it's unbelievable how she'll stick up for a redhead. Wade, sign your contract. I know you listen. Yeah, he's like you're Charlie. We've we've brought this up a bunch of times lately, but you are confident that the Flyers think like, yeah, we're gonna have Wade Allison. Yes, yes. I I would be very. I I was actually mildly surprised that they got Lizinski before Allison. Um, they got him signed. I thought they were going to be going to sign them both, but I thought Allison was the slam dunk. I think Allison gets signed. I, I would be very surprised if he doesn't. I just think he wants to be here. He wants to be in this organization, and the Flyers value him very highly as well. There's there's little reason for me to think that two sides that both like each other are not going to come to an agreement, especially because these like these contracts, there's not a lot of negotiating that needs to be done. It's basically just bonuses. Uh, he's been a productive player in his four years at Western Michigan. We know he's dealt with injuries. He had 23 points, 10 of them goals in 26 games this season, uh, really bouncing back from last year where he only played 22 games, only scored 15 points. All his other years he's been at or above, a you know, like a point-of-game player. What is the one thing about Wade Allison that fans are like, what does he hang his hat on? He, is, he does what the best? He scored a lot of goals, right? Yeah, he's he's a goal scorer. Um, 
I, I wouldn't go as far as call him like a sniper because I don't think he's like the kind of guy who he's got a really good shot. He's got one of the best shots in the pipeline, but like he's not the kind of guy who's just going to shoot, shoot, shoot from everywhere. Like he's he's a goal scorer, but I, I wouldn't call him a sniper. The comparison I've made for him a lot both in terms of personality and in terms of style of play in that like he's just kind of a crash and bang type of physical guy who just kind of like makes a uh, makes a beautiful mess of things in the exact right hockey way i think his ceiling is scott hartnell and i mean that would be an awesome freaking ceiling it sure would i'm not saying that's going to happen i'm not saying that's going to happen but like sorry go ahead bill no, I was just, what if we got another weird redhead who sco- who happens to have a 37-goal season? That's what this team is missing, a crazy <laughs> ginge. Like, this this team with the redheads, man, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, like, it's never— It's like because they wear orange, they have to find these guys. It's great. I mean, I love it personally. But, oh, no, it's so- like he doesn't—Wade Allison doesn't play a pretty game. And, you know, some, some players have to. Wade Allison, it's, you know, he's going to go into the corners. He's going to, you know, knock a guy down. He's going to battle for pucks in the, in the slot and in the crease, and he's going to score some goals for you. And it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be effective. The big thing with him, and this has been the question mark for the last two years, has been the injuries. You know, he tore his ACL two years ago, and it never really fully got better. Progressively, it has, and this year is probably the closest we've seen him to getting fully healthy. He went on that run, I think, in January where he was just scoring all the goals, and it was like, holy shit, Wade Allison's back, and hopefully he is. But there's a concern that, you know, he's never going to quite be the guy he was before that ACL injury because, you know, we. I feel like as a sports community, we've been spoiled by the fact that like, well, yeah, a guy gets Tommy John surgery and he's pitching the next year and he's fine and he tears his ACL and then he's Shane Goss's bear and has the greatest, you know, one of the greatest rookie seasons of, an, of a Flyers defenseman ever. Sometimes guys who tear their ACL never get back to 100% again. And that's a legitimate concern for, for a guy like Allison, especially someone who, you know, maybe was never the fastest guy to begin with. And if he loses another step, then maybe he's just not NHL fast anymore. Hmm. That would suck. It would suck. He's still worth and signing. That's... I mean, you want to see what you have in him, definitely. Yeah. And like we've been saying about these lottery tickets, this is why you need to buy in bulk. This is why yeah. Ron Hextall hoarded his assets. You know, you go and get Pascal LeBurge, and it's like, oh, well, he's been knocked out a couple times. We'll see. Like, he was a goal scorer. That's what they went and got. And it... You never know how these things are gonna uh, how these things are gonna work out. Uh, I got a couple minutes. Do you guys want to knock out a couple of these? Uh, not too long, but knock out a couple of these other things. Listen, Let's who's gonna going to tell us that we have to stop recording, Taylor? I'm just asking if you, I, I I rarely have things to do. I you got two nothing. Are like adults. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, funny. So Charlie Kelly and I did a little uh, post game review after Comcast aired that Game Seven versus Boston from 2010. Uh, just real quick, what what do you remember about that series, that game, that run? Just a couple of things, real quick, Chuck. On the on the game or on a like From on that, that spe- game and the run itself, that that core, that team. We're talking about 2010 or 2012. 2010. 2010. 2010. Okay, because uh, I I was just thinking because I just watched the 2012 game three last night. So we're talking about 2010. The yeah that run. I mean that was just so much fun. Like that was when I was in college and geez that was fun. Um, I didn't. I actually didn't watch that game when it was on. I have it recorded, so I'll maybe watch it like tomorrow or Friday or this weekend. Um, but I recorded it because I was writing an article while it was on. But uh, God, like. I think that's what it's part of the reason why this is like 
it sucks so much for Flyers fans, this pause, because I think for a lot of people that this team was starting to feel like that kind of magic. And I don't yeah. I, I don't think they were gonna go on that kind of run, but it was just that it was that promise that they could. And it just sucks that we've got that pulled away from us. And this is this was the first team I'm not saying with a matching personality, but it's the first team we've really had with a personality at all. Yeah, seriously. Since those teams. Like, those teams, man, you knew that Mike Richards was going to be knocking people around on the forecheck. You knew Danny Briere was going to come through with a goal. You knew Chris Pronger was going to cross-check someone in the teeth if he had to. Like, it was just, you felt connected to the players in a way that I don't think we have since... And you need to go on a run to really make that connection. And it was it, it was shaping up like we were going to see this. But now uh, that they're replaying some games, Charlie talked about that 2012 game three. Uh, I rewatched the fucking alumni game the other night. That was that game was I mean, fun as, as hell. Fun, as fun as it was to be there to watch it on television is a bit different. <laughs> uh, and, uh, they showed the outdoor game against the Penguins with the Giroux winner. And that was a ton of fun. So I just want to know, what Flyers archives would you like to see dug up? Hmm. I would like to see the uh, that Tampa Bay series from... Oh, that Game 6? That would be huge. Yeah. I forget what year that was. Um, yeah, it feels right. Um, also, if they want to just reshow like a single game out of nowhere, Carcillo's... OT game winner against the Devils was a lot of fun hmm. to watch. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing some Lindros era games just for fun. Yeah, I was thinking, and I guess the problem with this is that, like, I imagine, especially for the games before 2000, especially, like, the picture quality isn't going to be super great. Yeah, it won't be good but, at all. Yeah, but, like, I would love the, the one series I would love to see because I think this was, like, it, it it has special meaning for me personally because it was probably the first Flyers series that like I really paid attention to as a fan. I would love to rewatch that uh, the Flyers Rangers series in the Cup Run '97. Mm. That's that, a series that one came to mind for me. That's a series that I'd love to watch again because that was like Lindros at his best. You had like all those guys, and that was like the series that like got me really to fall in love with hockey because I had sort of started paying attention to it with my mom in the second round, and then that Rangers series was when like I really started watching every game and getting hooked. Like you know, I would rather than like you know it would be it would be six thirty and I'd be playing outside you know out front of my house with my friends, and I'd be like, guy, I have to go inside. The Flyers game's coming on, and like I just. That, <laughs> That was like the first time I was like, what, eight years old? And that was the first time when I was like getting really excited about watching hockey games. And that's a series I'd love to rewatch. I'm going with, uh, so like everyone remembers the Senators brawl in like 04. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, even 04, like that's a long time ago. But, you know, fighting wasn't what it was in the, you know, 70s and 80s at that point. I would love to just break out a random, like, vintage 70s or 80s spectrum brawl. I would love to see <laughs> yes. that place, like, motherfuckers smoking cigarettes in the second row as, <laughs> like, dudes are just beating the shit out of each other on the ice, and it's just a regular Tuesday. Like, I, that's, that's the era of Flyers hockey I never got to see, 
And it's I would love to see that just when that was what hockey was like a straight up fucking slap shot. Yeah, I was going to say it's just slap shot, but it's our actual team instead of, you know, a made up Chiefs team. Paul Holmgren played for the team that Slapshot is based on. Like, I need to see I need to see the goddamn I want to see some 70s and 80s brawls. That's what I'm looking for. But Charlie, when I was like getting ready for that question, I watched I read your uh, 10 best games of this season and um, a Senators game made number 2. I'm going to need you to explain yourself because it's the <laughs> Senators. I mean, I was, I'm surprised that, like, bothered you so much. They they defeated the Senators, and they, like, basically responded to the Senators taking a cheap shot at them by, like, a full team. It was essentially, like, all hands on deck, everyone is going to war. I mean, it was such a classic, like, throwback-type Flyers game, and you had, you know, Scott Lawton screaming at the Ottawa bench after he scores the game-winning goal. Like, it was just it was just a great game. Like, it was just a fun game, even though the Flyers obviously should have beaten the Senators. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a game that I I cannot wait to rewatch personally, because it's just, like, that was, like, the first time this year, really, where you saw, like, man, these guys are a team. Like, these mm-hmm. guys have each other's freaking backs, and that was cool. I don't disagree. I just like to yell about the Senators. It's a <laughs> brand for me, Charlie. All right, okay. real quick, we're going to go th- we're going to uh, on Broad Street Hockey this week. I saw an article about the expansion draft and like this comes up from time to time in my post games and every time someone asks me about, you know, next summer's expansion draft, I'm like, dude, it's so far away. I just can't worry about it yet. I'm worried about this year. But now that at least for the time being there is no this year, um we're maybe only one season's worth uh, worth of games away from having to deal with this thing. Who do you think goes? Uh, I was looking at that Chuck Fletcher deal when he was with Minnesota. Um, he wanted to. He wasn't. He did not protect Eric Stahl, Matt Dumba, or Marco Scandella. They were all exposed, and he got Vegas to. Uh, he got Vegas to take Eric Halla by throwing in Alex Tuck. What do you think about how he's going to handle this? If you had to guess who you think is going to go, just thoughts on the expansion draft before we wrap it up. I mean, I don't, I think, I think it was you, Charlie, who wrote about this, that the Oscar Lindblom, Nolan Patrick situation, like how does that play out? Like what happens yeah. with them? Because obviously either one of them would be very attractive to an expansion franchise if they're not protected. So what happens there? Um, I mean, like, if I could just make it happen the way that I wanted to in the way that I would find least annoying, like they would just take JVR and we'd go, go about our lives. But um, I don't know, like Chuck might have to do some wheeling and dealing because this is a team with a lot of young players and a few guys with no moves that you have to protect. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's they're going to lose somebody good. And yeah. not only are they going to lose somebody good just because they're deeper than they were back then, but they're going to lose somebody good because, quite frankly, Seattle's now run by smart people. I mean, they just hired Namita. You know, Alex Mandrecki is running their analytics team. You know, Ron Francis is a good GM. Like, they're, they're, they're going to look at this not, like, from a do we need, like, gritty people. They're going to look at this as who are the most valuable people. So I fully expect them to take a good player. I do think, though, that the Flyers, like you mentioned the Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom situations. Obviously, we have no idea how either of those are going to play out. You know, I would say I, I would say 
Nolan Patrick, I would think, is the more is the easier player to project that he will be playing hockey next season. Whereas we just have no clue with Oscar. Hopefully he is, but we just don't know. Um, but one thing that is, I feel like, has kind of, I wouldn't say it's made it easier, but it's definitely clarified the situation is kind of what's happened with the defense. Because when I did this projection last year, I was like, well, the Flyers are probably going to want to maybe, well, not probably, but they're maybe going to want to go with the, uh, the the type of protection structure that allows them to keep four defensemen because they don't they aren't going to want to lose any of Proveroff, Sanheim, Ghost, or Myers. Well, now I don't think they would have too much of an issue losing Ghost. Like, I just mm-hmm. think he's clearly dropped a step below those three guys. So if you're not worried about losing Ghost that much anymore, or there's a chance Ghost maybe isn't even on the team by the time the expansion draft rolls around, then suddenly you're definitely going with a 7-3-1 structure. Because your three defensemen are Proveroff, Sanheim, Myers, your goalie is obviously Hart, and then it just boils down to forwards. And you don't have to worry about losing Farabee or Frost because they're both going to be exempt. So then it boils down to basically like, you know, maybe you lose JVR. Maybe you lose a Scott Lawton if you decide to re-sign him at the end of next season. Like, you're going to be losing good players, sure. But they can keep, they can protect everyone that's a core guy, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I hate to say it becomes easier because we the the obvious best case scenario is that Oscar Limblom comes back and is still Oscar Limblom as good as he was before the cancer diagnosis. But if he either can't play hockey anymore or isn't as effective, maybe that changes the situation. I don't know. Like it, it's it's it feels weird to speculate about that situation because it's just like we're all hoping for the best for Oscar. Mm-hmm. But from from a expansion draft standpoint, if he's not in the mix then you have one more spot that you can use on a guy who contributed to the team next year, and maybe that means you protect JVR. Maybe that means you protect Lawton. I don't know. It's just the Flyers in particular are a tough team to evaluate because of the uncertainty surrounding surrounding Nolan and Oscar, and hopefully they're both good to go for next season, and they both get protected because they've justified why they should be protected by playing really good hockey. Overall, like the Flyers, they, they you know, they – they had a good structure last time, and it ended up not even being like, um, you know, it, I think it would have been better if, if Vegas took Andrew McDonald over Pebbles, but they <laughs> ended up taking Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and they they exposed some guys. They're like, well, we don't have to protect Andrew McDonald because his contract is a, protect, is a protection. Um, does Jake Voracek fall under that category? Do you think they'd be willing to, you know, give Jake the eight mil for the end of the deal? I'm sure that it would be considered. Like, it, but that would obviously involve the Flyers not protecting him. If they and, didn't protect him and thought no one's going to take him at eight point yeah. whatever million. I mean, that's a possibility. You know, the Flyers could certainly think that, like, the $8 million left on his deal, considering the fact that he's in his early 30s at that point, that serves as almost, like, implicit protection because there's no way that Seattle would take him. Yeah, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. That said, I mean, he is a member of the leadership core, and he is having a good year this year, so there's it's it's far from a foregone conclusion that the Flyers are going to look at their team after next year and say, you know, losing Jake Voracek wouldn't be that big of a blow. You know, they very well might look at it and say, we can't afford to lose Jake Voracek. He's still a key member of this team and one of our three or four best forwards, and we think he's going to age well for the remainder of this contract. I mean, he's looked, he's looked good this year, so 
I don't think, you know, you asked me this question last year, I probably would have been more open to the possibility, but I think he's had a real good year. And, you know, maybe there is a situation where, you know, next year he's just as good and it's not even a question whether you're going to protect him. Yeah. Overall, uh, like around the league, because like, again, the Flyers, they had a good structure and they weren't a very good team at the time. So the expansion draft really wasn't too big a deal for them. But a, a lot of teams like in Florida is always, to me, the number one culprit because they were like, well, we need to te- detect our we need to protect our fourth defenseman over two first liners. <laughs> Here you go. Have both Smith and Marcia. So like a lot of people are like, oh, Vegas, they just the, the rules were so in their favor. Like, I just think a lot of GMs are bad. Mm-hmm. Do you think do you think the league has learned its lesson more so than the last time around? Like, oh, you know what? We're going to give you two players instead of one. This is a good idea. Like, do you think they realize that's a bad idea? I mean, maybe, but I don't think that Chuck is stupid, so I don't really care about what the other teams do. I hope they do do stupid things, especially Metro teams. But, I mean, you have to think that with how good Vegas ended up being right out of the gate, NHL GMs are going to be like, hey, maybe we uh, didn't protect the right kind of players, and they might think things through a little bit better. You're like, Tuck, Tuck and Holla, that's one thing because one's a prospect, one hadn't done too much, and then it kind of works out pretty well for Vegas. But, like, you know, the, the Florida thing, so goddamn egregious. I can't imagine anyone doing that again. Mm-hmm. I doubt it. Yeah, well, but then again, Florida does dumb shit every other year anyway, so yeah. you know, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past I wouldn't put it past Dale Talon to uh to make another insane move because maybe his owner tells him you have to cut 10 million dollars off your payroll because I'm cheap. Uh but uh yeah, I I would think that the GMs will be smarter this time around, particularly the way you were saying where like they're not going to give away two players to keep one guy who they just fell in love with, but I guess, you know, GMs they can fall in love with their own players and not want to lose them, and it happens. So just, you know, if it's a Flyers fan, Flyers fans just have to hope that Fletcher doesn't fall into that trap. Yeah, all right, and uh, I think that's it. I think we did a pretty good job today Yay. of uh, covering a bunch of real hockey stuff. That's what we're going to keep doing as long as we can. Uh, please, though, if you have, like, a good idea for a segment, <laughs> hey, tweet it at me. Uh, I'm accepting all sorts of uh, all sorts of ideas for stuff we can do on our shows. Like I said on Tuesday, we're gonna keep pumping out content. We're gonna have supplemental shows for you, just different stuff uh, to keep you entertained. Cause hey, we need this too. This is how I fi- as much as you fill your time by listening, like this is how I fill my time. This is how I <laughs> like yeah I, I, I justify uh, you know sitting around doing nothing a lot of the time because I get paid to host these shows. And if I don't have shows to host, it's like. Well, you're going to need to go dig some ditches, Bill. And I tried that a couple of days, and it really worked out poorly for me. So <laughs> we're going to keep uh, pumping out content for you. Hopefully you keep on listening. Uh, just go to Broad Street Ho- or search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. Hit subscribe, and you'll get a bunch of stuff right there delivered to you almost daily. That's Broad Street Hockey. All right, that's it. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Bill Matz. For Charlie and Kelly, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!